0: In order to be able to really embody your voice, you have got to be able to stand courageously in the presence of this interface between one's ordinary self and one's cosmic reality. And that involves a very, very grounded relationship with the Earth.
1: Hello, I'm Julie Kral. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. We live on a conscious planet that is innately intelligent and inherently alive. We're part of its evolutionary journey. Dr. Jude kurven has detailed the 13.8 billion year story of Gaia, where everything in existence has inherent meaning and evolutionary purpose. The insights gleaned in this science-packed manuscript take us on a journey from simplicity to ever greater complexity, diversity, and self-awareness. So what does our voice, our naked voice, have to do with our conscious planet? And could the same intelligence, the inherent aliveness of our conscious planet, come through us, perhaps through our voice? This may sound like a strange yet intriguing question. We're going to explore these topics as our guest, Chloe Goodchild, Joins me and my co-host, Dr. Jude Kuravan, for this episode of our Conscious Planet series. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness into your heart, relax and open your mind. Settle into your essential wholeness. As I introduce my co-host and guest, Dr. Jude Kurvan is a cosmologist planetary healer, futurist, and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, The Cosmic Hologram. Jude just published The Story of Gaia, which has inspired this Conscious Planet series. And Chloe Goodchild is the founder of The Naked Voice, a pioneering experiential vocal training program providing a sound awareness toolkit of conscious core practices, music, audiobooks, and spoken meditations that empower you to find and to embody your authentic voice. The Naked Voice Charitable Foundation was established to disseminate a deeper awareness of the essential role conscious communication played in strengthening ethical awareness and social health and well-being in all realms of human life. Chloe is a celebrated artist, vocalist, author, and podcast host. Welcome, Chloe. Hello. Welcome, Chloe. It's lovely to have you with us.
2: Thank
0: you.
1: Great to be Mm. here. So, Chloe, here on the Dr. Julie Show, we've had a traditional first question for nine years, which was, what does all things connected mean to you? But I've shifted that this year and wanted to get it to be more personal, more intimate. And... Really, I'm excited about learning about the naked voice and in the spirit of the naked voice and all things connected. First, can you explain what your work with the naked voice is and then how the naked voice relates to all things connected?
0: My goodness me, just a little inconsequential question. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) so um for myself the the naked voice is really the voice of the soul it's the voice of the soul and uh i coined the phrase the naked voice when i came back from india having had a thoroughly western classical musical upbringing and then realizing that i needed to connect more with my indigenous roots my guyan uh Earth roots, if you like. So I found myself traveling to Africa and India. And it was in India where I discovered the uh, spiritual philosophy of um, non dualism and interconnectedness that way and oneness that way. And alongside that was this understanding of the unchanging sound or the unstruck sound. And at the same time as I was exploring what on earth that was and how that really anchors the the structure and the mechanics and the mathematics of music, the harmonies of music. I was also meeting with non-dual teachers who were really giving me a direct experience of what that might mean. And what that meant was uh, ultimately, to cut a very long story short, was to disappear the egoic mind. So to actually dis- disappear for a period of time, that mind that in any way is reactionary, dualistic, or um, in a kind of right-wrong relationship with itself, and therefore is in the way of that unstruck sound. And so in, in much Indian music, as you'll be aware, in Indian raga, for example, there is always an unchanging ground that is ever-present, Should we say throughout a whole piece of music, whether it's, you know, whatever the raga is or the melodic line is. And it's that unchanging presence that became so compelling to me uh, as a an experience of music in the deepest sense of a musical experience that I came to realize that, goodness, this unchanging presence actually exists not only in my voice, but in every. Human voice. And because I had had this quite transformative experience in India, I'd actually had this experience of the egoic mind itself uh, disappearing for a period of time. And it was that direct experience that really gave birth to the naked voice. Because whilst I was in that transformed state, I found myself li- listening to everyone and everything as one interconnected sound sound of consciousness and so that itself really i came back to england and i wondered to myself how can i uh, bring this understanding to the western you know, the western psyche for which you know for which the dualistic mind is everything so on my return to england it became an absolute compulsion To find a way of bringing this understanding of interconnectedness and oneness through the musical experience for people. And to, uh, so the Naked Voice was born that way. And I started a whole teaching process, uh, and that has its own protocol and method, uh, methodology, which is now taught all over the world.
1: So really the naked voice is that interconnected thing. I, I love that. We're going to get into that more because I know Jude has some, some really profound questions for you. But first I want to just kind of introduce this series here too, because this is a, a part of the story of Gaia series that we're doing on, on the conscious planet. And Chloe, you wrote a beautiful endorsement of the book. I want to read it out loud. It, it's just exquisite. You wrote, Jude Curavan is a receiver of revelation, someone who is able to collapse the dimensions between science and spirituality to conjure up the wild music of the spheres into the most innovative, coherent, and contemporary vision of evolutionary existence with exactitude, lucidity, and joy. In the story of Gaia, Jude distills Gaia's evolutionary journey into an imperative sense of purpose that calls each one of us now to take responsibility, to wake up, to remember, and to activate the unique frequencies of interconnectedness, source from the perennial wisdom of oneness, anchored in Jude Caravan's Science of Love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, this is so beautifully said. And I, I first just want to, I wanted to read that so our listeners could hear your experience of the book from the words you wrote. Hmm. And then I really want to pause and acknowledge that, Chloe, many of those who have read this book are having a personal experience. Of reading the book. And I'm wondering if you could reflect a bit and share with us what reading the book was like for you, and then perhaps how that relates to your personal connection and relationship to Gaia herself.
0: Thank you. Well, that's a great privilege to respond to that. Um, I was very, very lucky over this past year uh, leading up to the launch of the book and a little bit earlier than that, in fact, to um, have the opportunity to meet Jude pretty much once a week for uh, an ongoing period of time. And that really was terribly important to me because I learn a lot from the, the, the sound of the voice of an individual. And Jude is someone who speaks from her soul as a scientist uh, with great heart and great sincerity and immense passion and compassion. So it was not difficult to write that, to not write, to, to write that quote. And also the meetings that we had also helped me to read the material because for me as a kind of, I was not identified with being a scientist in the traditional sense of scientist. And I think as a, in the same way that many of us experience music at school, many of us come away from our school education with a sense of not being musical, not having a voice. And I think the same thing due to the, you know, kind of rigidity and limitations of the old paradigm science that was still being taught in school. I came away from school feeling that I just had not a scientific brain in my head. <laughs> And so to actually be able to communicate with Jude and to be able to experience what I understood directly as interconnectedness and oneness through this intricate, highly detailed, highly specialized, very often very scientific language and um, information, to be able to absorb that and to discover I could actually understand, you know, from a scientific, from a new paradigm scientific perspective, was an absolute revelation. Uh, and it's it's taken me quite a while to to really take that on and take that in, because I realise also that the book, the Gaia book, Gaia herself, uh, has been such a profound presence in my own evolution. Uh, and in the music that's fallen out of my mouth. And so to experience that with the intense evolutionary detail that Jude brought to this book was incredibly empowering, actually, and astonishing. I was, I was quite surprised that I was able to read it and to, you know, to be able to absorb it and to be empowered by the writing itself. So that was. That's a kind of overall experience for you. Thank you, Chloe.
2: You know, Chloe and I have had so many wonderful discussions and I've learned so much because I was one of those folks who was told, I I was allowed to play the triangle in the school uh, orchestra because nobody trusted me with anything more than that. And although I sing a lot in the shower, uh, outside of that has not been my experience. So, Chloe, you've empowered me so much Mm. in my naked voice Mm. and my embodied exploration and an openness to explore my naked voice. So the work you've been doing for so long across the whole globe has been Mm. extraordinary. And it feels really significant because it feels part of our healing journey, Mm.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah. You
2: know, the old paradigm of materialism and separatism, you know, in part at least, and again, not so much blame or or shame or anything, but it almost has separated ourselves. It's sort of disempowered us from appreciating that our voice, each and every one of our voices matters. You know, the entirety of existence has meaning and evolutionary purpose. So embodied in us the voice of the universe, the voice of our universe is is fundamental to us. And, you know, this goes back to to a a, a piece at the beginning of of the story of Gaia, but a question coming from that that I'd love us to ask you is that we now understand that while the earliest epochs of our universe were opaque to light, momentously they were transparent to sound. The Upanishads of ancient Indian Vedic philosophy, which you know so well and has, a, has had a huge part to play in your journey mm. as well as mine, mm. also includes the fundamental concept of a primordial om, mm. a musical chord of three notes mm. as being the sound and impulse of the breath of Brahman, mm. the breath of creation. Mm. And recent discoveries have established that the sound of acoustic waves did indeed sing our universe into being. It's as though our entire universe, our universe soul embodies a naked voice. So why do you feel it was vital for our universe to begin its evolutionary journey in this way?
0: Why? (laughs) We know how. (laughs) The simple response is, we had no choice. (laughs) There was absolutely no choice about it. You know, because it is the source of existence itself, you know. In the beginning was the word. And in the beginning was sound. And, of course, it's the unstruck sound, sound before sound. That I think you're also really referring to even prior to sound. So that had to be it absolutely. It was, it was as if it's, uh, I mean, my, it, I can feel every cell in my body just going, we had to come this way. <laughs> we, you know, we, we sound was the absolute force field of existence. It was the initial impulse, the, the impulse of love, actually. The impulse of unconditional loving presence, you know, which is the absolute ground and source of all all existence, all relationship, all interconnectedness arises from there and returns to there. Hmm.
2: That's that's so beautiful. And as Julie was saying earlier, you know, what I write about is the science of love because… Love is about this inter- this innate interconnectedness of everything. You know yeah. the wholeness of everything that's never separate. It differentiates itself, but its wholeness is is exactly that, yeah. and its differentiated parts are not separate from each other. Right. They're part of an inseparable um, sort of cosmic composition, an ongoing cosmic composition. So. I'd like to follow on from that because the two most fundamental attributes of all expressions of energy and matter Mm. are that they're inherently vibrational Mm. and quantized. So the former means that they embody different frequencies and, and wavelengths, which is the inverse of their frequencies, regardless of whether they're realized as moving waves or as standing wave particles, whereas... The latter ensures that their vibrations are expressed as specific notes. I mean, the word quantum means packet. Right. So in this musical sense, their are notes, this vibrational sense of the nature of all the energy and matter in our universe. Right. It's that it's vibrational. It is, they are notes yes. rather than a, a continuous spectrum. So both attributes and their myriad relationships are vital. To the story yes. of, of Gaia. So as a musician, as a wonderful musician, how does this fundamental nature of our universe resonate with you? Because th- we are talking about a resonant, harmonic universe, right. you know? Yes. Pythagoras talked about the, the music of the spheres, but this is beyond each of the spheres, this is the entirety yeah. of our whole universe. So as a musician, as a wonderful musician,
0: yeah.
2: how does this resonate?
0: Well, I love uh, your reference to particle and wave because for me in the teaching and in the experience of sound, you know, you've got the melodic line and then you've got, which is the, if you like, it's the expression of the soul. It's as if it's the feminine aspect of the music. You know, and then you've got the uh, the standing wave structure of uh, you know as the line moves across a a, a musical score, for example. You have there, you know, your bar lines and your staves and your notes themselves as they move across the page. And there's something between, you know, this. So that is, if you like, you're connecting particle and wave. You're connecting the the horizontal and the vertical dimensions of of the musical experience and how you experience that in your body the vertical being your direct vertical axis from the root of the ground a thousand miles down into Gaia herself, and then the energy that rises up directly up through the body up and connects with the cosmos. So as human beings, as standing wave human beings, we are literally conduits for that interconnection. And that's all very well, but unless we have this flowing, mellifluous, horizontal relationship with the social compound, you know, there can be no true relationship with uh, the world in which we live. We have to have this verticality, this connection, direct connection, direct experience of the cosmos as human beings, but then the capacity to deliver that out into the world. And so we, we consist of this vertical horizontality. And that compels the flow and the resonance and the harmonic interchange between the two realms, if you like. And so harmony for me is born out of the collision between how each of us uniquely experiences this interface between the vertical and the horizontal. And then, of course, the the spiral connection between the whole deal from the root of the crown right up into the eighth chakra, but on up Into the cosmos and in your beautiful, your beautiful book around the eighth chakra, you know, so that we are, we're multifaceted human beings. We have to be able to embody, in order to be able to, in in order to be able to really embody your voice, you have got to be able to stand courageously in the presence of this interface between one's ordinary self and one's cosmic reality and that involves a very very grounded relationship with the earth so there's much more to share with you about that because of the the way in which we use energy movement in our work to make this journey from the root to the crown and beyond uh, which enables the whole toroidal nature of the human spirit to reveal itself as well.
1: Mm. <laughs> I, I think Jude wants to jump in here too, but I'm just feeling the 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 breadth and depth of what you're speaking to, Chloe. In that this the intersection of the horizontal and the vertical is is really I'm it comes alive with more aliveness through the arts. Like this is this opportunity of this vibration to really experience our multidimensional beingness. I, I love this. Like, I want to I learn more. I want you to speak more. I want you to, like, I, I love that response. It really is brilliant, which points us toward medicine and healing on the planet right now. It points us to this wound of separation, this perceived illusion that we've been living under as as separate beings and, and really helps us move into a healing response through the arts, through music, through vibrational frequency in that intersection. So let's give our listeners an example of this, because I know you've crafted a couple stanzas to your famous Story With the story of Gaia, you have the singing field that has always been there, inspired by Rumi. I shouldn't say always. It seems like it has for infinity and beyond, right? But you brought through the singing field. And I know you crafted a couple verses Mm. for the story of Gaia and sang them at the launch in England recently. And I'm wondering if you could sing those for our listeners here and we'll kind of get a feeling of... Mm. A direct experience of what we're talking about.
0: Oh, I, nothing would give me greater pleasure. So, uh, this is for Jude and for the Gaia book, of course, and uh, for the revelation of uh, the restoration and the revelation, the remembrance of of Gaia herself. So, this uh, anthem, which came to me, goodness in the early 2000s uh, while I was touring with the Rumi poet Coleman Barks um, derives from his original Rumi version out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and doing, there is a field I'll meet you there and while we were moving and touring together I just said to Coleman do you mind if I just add the word singing in there <laughs> and uh, he, he said i um, do what the hell you like <laughs> say <laughs> Out
1: beyond ideas of right and wrong doing there is
0: a. The singing field. I'll meet you
2: there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Meet you there. Be a
0: There I am
1: free To
2: holy be I'll
1: meet you there I'll meet you there
2: To there
0: Beyond despair And misinformation There is one
1: call Love, one love
0: Sing
2: Thank you dear Chloe and it's so wonderful to hear you sing and embody those beloved words and Julie I wish you could have been with us too at the Oxford University Museum where we had the UK launch of the story of Gaia because Chloe was not just magnificent but she as she sang it was as though every being in that museum came along as her backing singers. It was quite
0: extraordinary <laughs>
2: and very, very beautiful. And so thank you.
0: It was such an outrageous and and eccentric and brilliant choice to to launch your book there, which I believe was where Darwin delivered the origin of the species. Right. Well it was the original debate. Right. Right. I mean to be singing Amidst these massive, you know, skeletons coming down, <laughs> of these the, these dinosaur, it was just an extraordinary experience, and the, the building itself was quite cathedral-like, wasn't it? So, you know, it was it was it was like being in. I think uh, one of our friends, Tom uh, Lawson, called it the um, Cathedral of Life, and and so it was so appropriate to be celebrating your book in that place. Amazing. Thank you, Chloe. You're absolutely right.
2: It was where the very first debate took place in 1860, just after Charles Darwin had published The Origin of Species. And, you know, it was so new that although the building had been built, not all the exhibits were there. So these folks came along to debate what was then a revolutionary a literally revolutionary new understanding of the story of ourselves, but obviously a much, much, much bigger story. And indeed, we're now with the evidence we have that I'm I'm sharing within the story of Gaia. We're really moving evolution, the understanding of evolution, to a whole new level. And I'd, I, if Julie's happy for me to, I'd like to ask another question based on on that. Because what we're finding is our universe doesn't just meaningfully exist; it purposefully evolves from simplicity to complexity, uh, diversity, uh, individuation, and self-awareness, and onward. And it seems to—I know Julie and I have discussed this. It seems to us that we and, and, and many of the folks we work with, as well, see this as a moment of choice. And with the potential for our conscious evolution as microcosms of of the evolutionary impulse of our entire universe and planetary home, Gaia. So I'd like to ask you in that sense, any thoughts, comments, feelings, because I think it's a felt sense of this evolutionary impulse, what that means to you and how you feel that invites us through our moment of choice to potentially consciously evolve at this moment?
0: Oh, my God, what a fantastic question. Um, You know, I've been, I think we, we, we each come in, obviously, we come into this life with that choice, with the possibility of that evolution to happen. And I think because of the nature of the old disappearing paradigm, that paradigm was really very constricting on the human psyche and spirit to such a degree that we were we felt compelled to obey and comply and acquiesce with whatever was going on to a large degree you know and so the the institutions, uh, that were created for education, for religion, for, you know, for medicine itself have all been really, uh, they've all, because of the new science, of course, are being required to morph into very, very different shapes and sizes and so on. And for myself, uh, apparently, I came into this world to find my voice clearly, clearly, and having found it, to realize the imperative and the, it took me about 15 years to recover from having found it, which if you like, when I say to recover, to really learn how to embody what that means, to really live your own authentic voice which is a metaphor for your own authentic life and that often means going against the grain it often means being able to you know to stand and to say things that are very strange and uh, you know weird for everybody around you hence the reason why a lot of people even though they've been told in their education system that they didn't have a voice you know they they I would say, almost because they had to felt this compulsion to toe the line, actually compromised themselves so dramatically as to find themselves coming to naked voice workshops in order to regain and to rediscover that lost sense of purpose that you your question started out with, and it's as if self-confidence, self-empowerment, the capacity to realize I am, I am, the capacity to realize that I can love without requiring any outer object of love. I can just embody love itself and give voice to that in the world. All of that requires a lot of retraining of the system. You know, of the brain, of the soul and the spirit, which is why we work with healing the three major power centers, the solar plexus, the heart center and the pineal center ground. And so what we do there is to obviously the first center, the solar plexus, the first three chakras, for example, you're, you're building the, the three love centers, which, which of the will of healthy egoic will. And um, so the first chakra we call the source of love. The second chakra is, is is co-creational sexual love. The third chakra is instinctual love. And then we we share a whole energy movements that assist us to really embody what that means. And then that doesn't require any psychotherapy or anything, you just literally reconnect. But of course, then for many of us, psychotherapy is required in order to be able to navigate what just happened (laughs) in terms of restoring the personal will and creating a healthy ego. And then you move from there into, from my will, into thy will, into the heart center, So the next three chakras overlapping the solar plexus with the heart center and the throat. And so the instinctual will with the devotional heart, with devotional love, empathic love from the center of the chest, with what we call from the throat center, all-inclusive love. So that mudra, in fact, itself is literally this. So the hands are like this. And you're receiving light from the sky. And it's a very unusual energy movement as for martial artists because they never expose themselves like this. You know, it's not usual except in Shintaide, which is my master taught. So to be able to stand in your truth like this, in the, the understanding that the throat is really enabling the return of all-inclusive love then you're on the home ground because then you move up from there in all-inclusive love into the om, into the pineal gland, compassionate love. And that brings you up there. And that brings another mudra, which is very much related to the diamond, sword of compassion. And that takes you to the back of the head up here. This was just the journey that, this was my journey back from, having lost my mind in order to get back into the human body. So this was how I helped myself. It was sound that returned the the awareness into the small envelope of the human body. And so that then enabled this awareness to come in, the back of the head, mystical love at the crown up here, almost the crown, and then the crown, universal love. So when you do these movements, you then start to restore remembrance of your true transformative embodied self. And it's thanks to nine-year-old children that we uh, gave the language to this. Uh, in, in one of my students, one of my facilitators, was actually working with nine-year-old children And and they said, oh, when they were being taught these mudras, they said, oh, we know what you're doing. We know what this is. Oh, yeah, that's that. That's that. We know what that is. Yeah. And they they gave language to the whole story. The revelation and the restoration of love brings self-remembrance, basically, you know. And once those three power centers are open again, you can then take your awareness beyond and beyond and beyond and down, 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 down. Uh so when people it's a very physical, ordinary thing to do, you know, to, to for some people it's just a very mechanical experience, you know, you're doing these movements, what am I doing? Why am I doing oh, oh oh you know, and you start to feel or remember who you are, you know, beyond the um the old narratives of social conditioning basically. And then purpose is the absolute core essential uh, remembrance required, isn't it, for this life. Unless you're fully embodied in the voice, in your own unique voice, as unique as your DNA and fingerprint voice, you are, um, you know, you're in a a kind of just dislodged relationship with yourself, you know, because you're still obeying somebody else's reality. Not your own. Does that answer in any way respond mm. to you? Of course, mm. of course it does. Mm. Thank you,
1: mm. Julie? I, I just want to transcribe that whole response. Um, mm. It was, it was exquisite, Chloe. Of really hearing you speak of love from the first chakra clear through the mm. universal love, like it was like this whole, um, whole body response. Mm giving us meaning and purpose of that embodied love, that embodied voice and the voice as love. So I, I really want to unpack this a little bit for our listeners, because I think there's so much power right here in this response that you just gave in that first I I want to differentiate the spoken word voice and the musical sound voice. Yesterday, I had music on all day long. Mm. I began in the morning, and I was cleaning the house, and had one of my favorite playlists on for cleaning and and moving around, and found myself singing really loud while I was cleaning and doing things. And then I had several different playlists all day. I had a holiday playlist. I, you know, I had all of my favorite songs, and there was this voice in me that wanted to come out, and that feels so good when your favorite song, you know, here's this harmonic resonance piece, your favorite song comes on and you get to just belt out and, and sing. So there's, there's that. But in the introduction, I also asked a kind of a peculiar question, Chloe, that I want to follow up on that too, is that to me, there's this, the sound of voice that comes through us. That's just this deeper wisdom that can come through. So this, when I had asked if this is the same as that inherent aliveness of the cosmos that comes through, the aliveness of the planet that can come through us, Mm -hmm. can you just help us understand the difference between spoken word voice, which is really important for us to recover and reclaim our spoken word, our ability to speak that voice, but also this musical sound thing that happens through us. I'm thinking of that raw primal scream that can happen for some at different times, deep deep emotion comes up and moves through us. That's important too. So with this embodied love and all those chakras, I was seeing the journey of all these emotions that comes as well along with words. So can you differentiate for us? That's a big one. I know, to unpack, but I think it's really important.
0: I am so happy you asked that question because we've lived in a speech-dominated culture, obviously, pretty much around the world. Um, The indigenous cultures have not lost the separation between speaking and singing. Uh, uh, Cultures that are still very related totally inseparably to the land uh, you know, they they, they still, their speaking is a sung thing very often. And, um, in our culture, particularly, uh, the, my own upbringing, which was, uh, my father was a priest and he gave birth to four very wild, uh, girls and one boy. And the whole kind of nature of communication was a spoken thing, uh, and very rich in many ways, very rich. Um, but it never went far enough for me. I I was always wanting to know what was just, you know, beyond the conversation that we were having. And so that that was and I was think I was I was thought to be and felt that I was a kind of weirdo for, you know, for sort of sustaining this kind of. Relationship with nature and with, 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 with life itself and with, with loving relationships with, um, in my teens, with boyfriends, you know, uh, just to a connection with, with love in whatever form it wants to show up. Music became absolutely instrumental as the, the bridge and the catalyst for a language of communication, a language of communion with life, with myself, with others uh, that took me beyond the tight shoe of the mind, you know, beyond the tight shoe of my um, rational mind, should we say, as opposed to my true mind. So I just sang in choir's Endlessly, I just absorbed the whole sacred repertoire of, of Western music uh, as a teenager, right into twenties, and then had to go off to Africa and India to complete the circuit because. Even that, even in Cambridge, you know, singing all these incredible, um, you know, uh, the Bach's passions and Mahler's symphonies and and Mozart requiems and all of that was was sublime, sublime. But it kept on taking me up and out of the body. So, but that was nevertheless a bridge from speaking it back into the back to the source of sound which I ultimately found in India in my case, but it could have been other places. So I think in my later and more recent research, I've been very, very perplexed about why people have such a, a very limited sense of self and of their capacity to communicate, to give voice. And that's, I think, for many of us, we were just very well behaved and we just obeyed. This is the only way that communication happens speaking you know and it's got to be rational it's got to have a beginning a middle and an end it's got to it's got to be safe it's got to be it's got to be well behaved it's got to be conditioned it's got to it's got to have all these requirements but it also obviously has within it great beauty uh, uh, and great you know through precision and the different layers of intellectual expression and so on and then as that then translates into poetry And uh, so poetry, if you like, for me became a bridge and it was really my connection with Coleman Barks and touring with him. And he would say, I'm just going to recite this poem and I just want you to sing it what it is (laughs) with no words at all. And so that started, you know, we were doing this a lot. And so he would just say, you know, be helpless, dumbfounded, unable to say yes or no. Then a stretcher will come from grace to gather us up. You know, and you get whoa! <laughs> you know, and, and you, you, the lid would be off. You would have to not necessarily communicate that literally. But I remember there was actually one time when I was in a recording studio with Coleman Barks and the, the, the roomy poem was, Strike anywhere you will never find the centre. It was, that was the basic kind of idea. And I was in a recording studio with a wonderful cellist called David Darling and Coleman. And we were, he said, so I just want you to, so I was in this booth in order to be separated off from the other two and uh, strike anywhere, you'll never find the center. So my voice was, you know, it was all over the shop. Uh, Because I was just trying to find the central point, the sound of what that really means to strike anywhere. You will never find the centre. What How on earth do you give voice to that? And we came to the end of the recording, and I remember Coleman Barks and David Darling looking at me through the window of the booth, and one of them asking the other, do you ever let her out of there? (laughs) so it was um, <laughs> it was you know it was you know in this sort of in this evolutionary journey to find and restore if you like this seamless connection between speaking and singing sometimes you have to go to great lengths to find it but what i found particularly with a woman the other day who helped me to find this connection she came online one to one and she had a very, very embodied voice, beautiful voice, very professional voice. And I I said, you know, I really don't understand why you would feel called cool to have a session in this way. Uh you have a very embodied voice. Your sound is very embodied. Um, how do you feel about your voice? And this very, very deep professional voice suddenly kind of leapt up. My husband doesn't like it. You know, and suddenly I was this very professional human being. (laughs) Suddenly there was a silence and we came back down to the original spoken voice. And I said, did you notice what happened when I asked you, how do you feel about your voice? And she said, well, yes. And she went back into this beautiful spoken voice. And I said, are you aware you're speaking on F sharp? And that completely disconvolvulated the brain at that point. And when I played, so I played it on the, I played it on the keyboard, and she heard her spoken voice at that pitch. And as soon as she heard it, the entire rest of the voice joined up. Everything. She was like, ah. Uh. And she was, like, really surprised (laughs) to suddenly feel this connection, uh, which had happened simply because I'd asked her a completely foreign question. Are you aware you're speaking on F-sharp? And at that moment, singing and speaking came into one place, and she was one voice, one soul, singing. The soul then was free was freed by that experience. It was quite alchemical, quite extraordinary. But so we've now we 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 there are exercises that we can do where you just simply how do you feel? And how does that sound? You know what is your name? And so you you know, so for example, Chloe Chloe Right, so that's a spoken thing. If you actually just keep listening to that for long enough, Chloe, and then you take away the consonants, so you take away the structure, and you're just left with the vowels, Oe, Oe, and then you make those vowels a little bit longer, Oe, Oe, and then you start to realise, O. Singing is happening. Singing, in fact, never left me. I've been singing all my life. You know, these are very, very simple happenings that have taken me about 20 years to access. (laughs) But it's quite extraordinary how these very, very simple encounters with oneself, you know, save a lot of years of therapy you can cut it back from 25 years to maybe 25 days you know because suddenly you're Mm. embodying your awareness and i'm sure because of all because thanks to jude's work and your work julie how these old dimensions of science and sound and spirituality are all collapsing into each other the access to the human voice is returning it has to You know, that voice of yours that is uniquely yours and that voice that is not a divided speaking, singing thing anymore. It's not a, oh, I can't sing. Oh, I was thrown out of the choir thing anymore because you just can't, there's no place for that thought
1: anymore, you know. Beautiful response. Wow. I think we could do a whole nother hour and yet the time is coming to a close and we're going to need to wrap. And I have one last question for you, Chloe, but Jude first, do you have any closing remarks after that beautiful response with Chloe before I bring in that last question? Just
2: with gratitude, Chloe, one of the things that we've spoken about that I love in your work now going forward is community singing singing our hearts mm. out and how that is so powerful nice. in helping people to realize that beyond unity and diversity and unity and inclusion is unity and belonging. So I, I really want to add and with Julie's gratitude yes. ours to you for all this work, because this really feels on the bow wave now right. of our collective healing and our collective ability to consciously
0: evolve so thank you so much thank you jude so much goodness
1: what a beautiful way to to bring your voice into this conversation chloe on the story of gaia it was a really powerful hour and um i just want to let our listeners you can find more about chloe goodchild at chloe goodchild.com that's c-h-l-o-e g-o-o-d c-h-i-l-d.com. And you can find out more about Jude's work at com and wholeworld-view.org. And as always, you could find me at juliecrawl.com and goodofthewhole.org. So Chloe, we're really appreciating the whole conversation around the story of Gaia, but we also want to ask our guests just a closing call to action. What's really important as you summarize our conversation today, what would be that call to action to our listeners of something they could do now to help really heal this? I, I love how we brought in the voice. It's it's exquisite here, but I'm going to, instead of prescribing that, I'm going to let you, what is, what is that call to action?
0: Well, um, First of all, just to really give more attention to your spoken voice, to poetry, to love song, to do exactly what you were doing yesterday in your house, listening to music that really inspires you. uh, Because it's very often, uh, you know, the melodic line of a favourite song that if you take the words away even you know really you start to realize oh that that really resonates with the music of my soul that really does you know even if i take the lyrics away for myself uh, i've moved myself strategically to a part of england uh, where yesterday in fact we started uh, the first community uh, uh, singing Process journey, if you like. Uh, we just put put out the word to a, a group of people here, and within three weeks, we've got we had close to a hundred people yesterday, just in what happens to be a sound chamber just down the road from where I live which is an extraordinary space where you you don't even have to think about trying to find your voice anymore. You just stand underneath the sound in this sound chamber and the frequencies are such, of course. And I know both of you know a lot about this in various forms that you hear uh, you hear yourself instantly in the widest possible sense. So what I would say is just to really invite people to come together to explore and to find your voice to uh, with others. It could be two or three people. You know, it could be, you know, your family. It could be your children, you know. And just start making this return journey to this seamless connection between speaking and singing so that you then embody the voice fully and then you share that with others, you know. And you allow silence to play a very prominent part in this, so it's not just like getting into a kind of dualistic right we're going to go out there and we're going to, we're going to change there some we are being called to a much deeper and I think this is where Gaia really comes in a deeper rootedness into Gaia herself to receive how to give voice out in the world, which for some of us will be flat out you know, in protestation. And for others, it'll be a very silent thing. And for others, it will be an exquisite choral thing that will just become an essential everyday activity. So in our case, everybody is up for practicing together every day, for example. Uh, And so these are people that are in the closer community, but also further away. So they've taken on the naked voice practices, and then we're going to, just explore how those practices themselves root one in a kind of an understanding of wholeness and uh, fearlessness, basically, and loving presence.
1: Thank you, Chloe. There there again is this, yeah, beautiful intersection with the horizontal and the vertical again. Thank you, Chloe. This was it was lovely to have you here and I'm looking forward to really listening to this and embodying this whole conversation again. It was it was so lovely. And listeners, since we talked about love, I want to leave you with the words of Marshall Lefferts as he reflects on the story of Gaia. He wrote, "Curvan evokes a deeply empathic sense that all that led to and now exists as life on earth is intrinsically the result of the universally unifying and cohering presence of love. Ultimately, the story of Gaia is a vast love story that reminds us that we, too, are an inevitable, inevitable manifestation of this same eternal presence. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is a part of our Conscious Planet series with co-host Dr. Jude Curavan. Thanks for joining us. And remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, we're sending you a world of love. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, go to your favorite podcast platform, Remember to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Also, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash all things connected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliecrawlemail.com. Thanks for listening.